I started praying, I almost forgot where I was. Um, <laughs> good morning. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, we are going to continue this morning in our uh, series through the book of Psalms. Um, it's called Knowing and Enjoying God. And this morning we've come to Psalm 42, and we were just singing about it, which is, uh, it makes sense, because the Psalms are songs, and so we've been talking about that. But Psalm 42 has a verse in it. It's a popular verse, but it's always been a verse that, that for a long time really confused me. It's Psalm 42, verse 7, and it says this, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Psalm 42 is definitely one of the most famous psalms, and, and, and so I'm pretty familiar with this one. Uh, even growing up, just growing up, I grew up in North Carolina, kind of Bible Belt area, kind of around uh, religion, but didn't really have much relationship um, with him, knew about him, didn't really know him. For a very long time, but familiar with this passage. And so whenever I came across this passage, especially uh, even early on in my Christian walk, it never really resonated with me mainly because I just kind of, it didn't make sense to me, right? Deep calls into deep. What does that even mean? Like, what, what is he talking about? Like, I just kind of thought, okay, this is one of those poetic things, right? Like, I hear a lot of poetry, you know? You ever hear a poet talk about something and you're like, you lost me, bro. I don't even know. You're, you're, you're using some Shakespearean stuff. I, I, got, I got nothing. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. That can often happen, especially when we're reading uh, songs that were written 3,000 years ago, right? Like, it can kind of disconnect sometimes, but uh, it, it, it really is poetic language. It is deep language, but it didn't click for me until around the fall of 2007, a hurricane had swung off the coast uh, here, and, and it was kicking up some pretty sizable waves, right? And uh, I wasn't the best surfer in the world, but I was either good enough or dumb enough to at least paddle out and give it a shot, right? So um, the winds were just right, and, and some of my friends were headed out that morning, and so the sun, just as it's rising, we decided, hey, we're going out past the 16th, or, or by the 16th Street Bridge there, and um, by the pier, I mean, and uh, we... we paddle out. And so the waves were pretty huge and they were coming in fast, but I'm thinking like, I, I, I got this, you know, like I can do this. And so um, we, we went out and it was all I could do just to get past the breakers. I don't know if we've got any surfers in here. In fact, that's not true. I do know we've got some surfers in here. Um, and so if you've ever tried to do this, you know that sometimes when it's, when it's thumping, it can be difficult, right? So, uh, you know, I just made it out. I was feeling pretty good about myself, but I'm exhausted. But, um, you know, I made it, right? So um, they weren't really that huge, but they were really coming in fast, maybe like a foot overhead, right? A foot overhead consistently is kind of the... Um, the, the size range that they were in, and so uh, I get out there, and I finally regain my composure, you know, and I think, okay, I'm going to position myself. I'd seen some of my friends. They'd already caught some. They were, um, it looked a lot of fun, and um, I, I, I position myself, and I start paddling, right, and I'm like, I'm charging it, and I'm committed. I'm nervous, but I'm committed, and so uh, I dropped into the wave, the, the fastest wave I had ever ridden, and it was a left, so I would rather go right when I'm surfing. This was a left, but I dropped in, and I made it. And I was like, that was awesome. And I'm thinking, I have arrived. <laughs> I am officially a surfer. That was hurricane swell, right? And so I'm thinking, I've got this. So I, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty confident, and I paddle back out. Let's go. Get ready for another set. This time, though, the next set, a little, a little bigger. It was coming a little faster, which also meant that I was too far inside. Now, what that means is that the wave has built and started to almost break. And so I was just feeling confident, though. I'm in the wrong position, but I just, I'm, I'm charging, right? And so uh, overly confident, I decided I'm going to commit to this one. But I was already, I was too far inside. Um, and so... What I experienced was, I'm paddling, and I remember it, just a cliff, just a sheer cliff, straight down, and I uh, experienced something called going over the falls, okay? <laughs> and so uh, that basically meant that the wave then, I wiped out, and the wave sucked me into its churning, 
like a dryer set on tumble, you know? That's what happened, okay? And so it grabs me, and it grabs my board, and it wouldn't let go. And, and I, I just started tumbling with it. And it probably, honestly, wasn't that long. Uh, I, I'm sure there are uh, many of you in here that have surfed and experienced worse. Um, however, that was my first real experience of the grip of the ocean, okay? And it seemed like forever before I could even get a breath. I was wondering if I ever was going to get a breath, and then finally it released me. And when I say it released me, I mean I literally felt like it was like, okay, little buddy, I'll let you go, right? And then I come up, and as soon as I catch a breath, what happens? Bam! Next set smashes me right back into the dryer, although it wasn't very dry. It was very wet, and I couldn't breathe. Um, and so I, I finally, you know, I, I make it out. It felt like an eternity, and I crawl up onto the beach, and I'm just exhausted. I'm way, laying there in my wetsuit like an exhausted baby seal, you know. And I'm just sitting there. Eventually, my friends, they climb out of the water, and they're just laughing at me, and they're like, you know, how'd you give up so soon? You know, and I'm, I'm just sitting there like, ah, ha, ha, that's funny. I'm just happy to be alive, right? So, um, <laughs> so the next time, though, I, I came across this verse, it started clicking. That experience even started clicking for me. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. That started registering on a deeper level for me. And I'm realizing that Psalm 42 is a psalm or a song of desperation. But it's also a song about establishing depth in the Lord. And if we'll let it, this psalm has a lot to teach us about what it truly means to go deep in the Lord. And of course, spiritual depth is a good thing, right? You want to go deep. Maybe some people say they want to go deep, though. It sounds good on the surface. But often going deep comes with some risk. Like deep Christianity is better than shallow Christianity, right? Sometimes I wonder if shallow Christianity can even be a thing. Just confusing. But what does it really mean? Like a lot of people seem to have their own definition for what spiritual depth is and how it even happens. So many assume depth has to do with how much you know about Christianity, right? But that's not necessarily true. Like, you can know a lot about Christianity. You can know a lot about the Bible, and your actual relationship with Jesus is extremely shallow or even non-existent. And so there's, there are two kinds of shallow Christians, right? And they often tend to react to each other in order to justify their own form of superficial religion. And so there's, there's two kinds. One, they may know a lot about Jesus in the Bible, and they have... It may have a ton of scripture memorized, which is a great thing. They might have it at the ready, right? Especially for a good debate. But knowing God's presence and goodness and delight may be a struggle. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control don't seem to be as important as being right. Like winning the argument matters more than winning the person. So we live here by the beach. And so let's use, let's use the beach and the ocean as an illustration, okay? So it would be kind of like somebody who knows all about the ways that different waves break. Maybe they know a lot about even surfing, right? Or, or they know about all of these things. They can explain the tides. They can tell you what a rip current is. They can tell you how to get out of like a rip current or an undertow. They can, they, but they've never actually experienced it themselves. They can tell you all about how to swim parallel to the shore. They don't know what it's like to get sucked out to sea and be exhausted. There's a big difference between having the head knowledge and experiencing the ocean. Or they never really felt the thrill of harnessing the energy of a wave and riding it, but they're really good at talking about it from the beach. Like maybe they even wade in every now and then to cool off, but don't really ever dive in. 
And so compared to the tourist who knows nothing about the ocean, can't swim, never been on a board, like they never really leave the safety of their beach chair unless it's just to cool their feet off every now and then, like they feel pretty good about themselves in comparison to that person. But maybe that person is like, I'm not going there because they just heard this other person just talk about how complicated and crazy it is out there. See how they react and justify their positions? But they're both just barely getting their feet wet. But the truth is that neither are actually venturing past the breakers into the depths. It's all just theoretical and shallow. So to venture past the breakers requires faith. It requires risk. It requires letting go of the safety of your own shoreline and trusting. Now, Psalm 42 isn't just a song about venturing out into deep water. It's a song about what happens when you find yourself immersed in it. Because this is actually where that analogy ends. This is not, I'm not encouraging you all to go swimming. Some of you are like, I'm happy on the beach. That's fine. Enjoy, right? This is not a direct parallel here. But this analogy ends here also because in this life, hear me, the shoreline is actually an illusion. The reality is, is that there is no real refuge from the depths of this world. It's only pretense and ignorance. You're gonna face these waves. In fact, a better analogy may be that we're all out on the sea and the waves are high and the boat you're in is totally unreliable and it's sinking. But Jesus has come to you and he's walking above it all on the water. And he's calling you to step out of your sinking boat and put your trust fully in him, even in the midst of the wind and the waves. Like this morning, we're going to let Psalm 42 show us what deep Christianity is actually all about by letting this psalm show us how to go deeper in the Lord. And it's not just about stepping out. It, it, yes, it often starts there, but depth in him is a continual process in this life because there's always another storm. There's always another storm. There's always another wave. And there's always then another opportunity to let the love and goodness and grace of God engulf you rather than the cares of this world engulf you. Come thou fount of living water. Tune my heart to bless your name. Streams of trouble never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. What do you do in the never-ceasing stream, which I would say is a river often of trouble. What do you do? You know what you're called to do? Sing songs as loud as praise. So as a framework for the rest of our time, we're going to walk through Psalm 42, and we're going to draw out the heart of what the psalmist is trying to communicate in this song. And then we're going to drop back and look at four practical things we can do to go deep in the Lord at a soul level. Okay? So this is, what I, this is what true depths look like in Christ. Number one, pour out your soul before the Lord. Spiritual honesty. Okay? We're going to talk about this. Number two, consider the cry of your own soul before the Lord. Consider the cry of your own soul before the Lord. That's spiritual awareness stuff is so important. Number three, remember the gospel. And then finally, number four, preach to your soul. Preach to your soul. And here's what I want you to get. If you get nothing else this morning, this is what I want you to get. Depth in the Lord comes through recognizing the depth of your need and receiving the depth of God's fullness for you in Christ. Okay? Depth in the Lord comes through recognizing the depth of your need and receiving the depth of God's fullness for you in Christ. This is what the psalmist means by deep, calling unto deep. Our deep need cries out for his deep supply. It's often the case, though, that we don't even recognize our deep need until the breakers are rolling us. But that only happens, though, See, when we come to the end of ourselves, when you're out of breath and you know it, and you need breath, or you're starving, or you're thirsty, and you need that living water, it's 
when we come to the end of ourselves. After all, Jesus did say, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And so the truth is, we all need a doctor, but only some of us realize it. And no, I'm not just talking about unbelievers, okay? Like, it's easy to get so reliant on religion that you forget to come to Jesus. That's a thing. This is often the blessing of those storms never ceasing, right? So the question is, what do we do in the midst of it? Well, that's what we're talking about this morning. So again, that doesn't mean that you're upset about how bad you are all the time, okay? That's not what we're talking about. It means that you've come to grips with his fullness and his goodness and his grace and that it's more than enough. In fact, this is the abundant life that Jesus promises us. He, he promised not to make you enough. He didn't promise that you would be enough. He promised that he would always be enough for you, even when he feels distant. So look with me now. Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So first of all, this is not a tranquil, peaceful scene, okay? Like I realize that there's a deer involved and some streams, okay? But sometimes we can read over this stuff and be like, oh, it's scripture and it's the Psalms. This must be peaceful. This is not peaceful. This is not a happy situation, okay? This is a dying deer with its tongue out right? He's gone to the stream. It's dry. It's an image of desperation and spiritual dryness. He's saying your soul, his soul is like a dying deer. There's nothing pretty and cute about it, okay? Verse 3 gets even deeper. My tears have been my food day and night, you feel that? Like, like that, 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 that hits. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Now, I don't know who's saying this to him. Could it be his physical enemies? Could it be his spiritual enemies? I think probably all of the above. But that question, where is your God? The enemy means, means it to be rhetorical. But I think it's actually a really good question. Like, where in fact is God during all of this? Has he forgotten you? Has he actually abandoned you? Has he actually forsaken you? Or does it just feel that way? That's a good question. And hear me, it, it's no light thing to feel distant. When I say it just feels that way, as if like that doesn't matter. Guys, it matters. Sometimes in an effort to subject our feelings to the truth, we end up ignoring them altogether as if they don't matter. But that is also extremely dangerous. And honestly, it's unchristian to do that. That actually is in line with stoicism. Okay? That doesn't help spiritual dryness. In many ways, it simply embraces it. Guys, hear me. Enjoying God on an emotional level is important but it's not always necessarily ultimate because there's a depth cultivated there sometimes in those seasons of drought. So, so how should we respond in those moments of drought? Verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So don't miss this. Get the imagery. Hear what he's remembering. He's thinking back, and, and, and part of, of, of the time when he was in corporate worship, right? Like part of the power of the psalm is the reminder of how significant gathering together with God's people is. Like, like for centuries, this song has been sung in corporate worship as a reminder of how valuable corporate worship actually is. So this song teaches us to even grieve any circumstance that keeps us from gathering together in worship. 
And it presents corporate worship as a gift to our souls, not just a burdensome duty. And so I pray when we are singing these songs together that we, there is like a sense of... <sighs> there's something powerful in that. Don't miss that. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and uh, from Mount Mizar. This was a region. These were, he's talking about the, a region that was north even of the Sea of Galilee, which was far from the temple in Jerusalem. And so this is far from the corporate assembly of God's people. So he's feeling distant from God's people and from even the manifest presence of God in his life, where the temple was and the Holy of Holies. This is what the context is of this psalm. And so he's crying out from the depths of him. And verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Disoriented, tossed about, overwhelmed and desperate, in need of a deep breath, but faced only with deep water. You ever been there? You ever been there? If you haven't, you probably are going to be at some point in this life. That is not despair. That is honesty, and it's actually an opportunity to go deeper with the Lord. But it matters how you deal with it. It matters how you navigate it. Verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So remember, he's talking to his rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now, in case you missed it, there's a grappling with God on display here. Ultimately, it's not just a grappling with God, it's a grappling for God. But that line, it, it kind of gets blurry, doesn't it? The, the, the line between grappling with God and, and, and for God, sometimes it might even feel like you're grappling against God. This, it gets kind of blurry throughout this song. What we see is he's struggling, he's wrestling, he's striving, even with his own flesh and his own emotions and his own circumstance, all of this in the midst of tumbling turmoil that he's going through in this world. And honestly, it reminds me of Jacob. In Genesis, the, man, the, the, the patriarch Jacob, this guy, Jacob was a man whom God blessed even when he was in the womb but the first part of his life was spent striving and stressing for a blessing that was already declared over him before he was even born. And so he lied and he tricked and he toiled and he stressed to attain an identity that God simply desired him to receive. And so finally, there's this climactic scene in Genesis chapter 32 where God comes to him in the form even of a man and he grapples with Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis. He grapples with him, he wrestles with him all night long. But Jacob refuses to tap out. Like even after God completely dislocates his hip, he refuses to tap out. And then finally, God says, let me go. But Jacob says, not until you bless me. See, this was a picture of his entire life up until this point of striving and stressing for a blessing. But the blessing God bestows upon Jacob was not a blessing of stuff. It was a blessing of identity. You see, what happens next is that he actually changes Jacob's name. The name Jacob, the word Jacob means trickster. And God changed Jacob's name. This is the very next thing that he does when he says, bless me. And the way that he blesses him is he says, what's your name? He says, my name's Jacob. And then he changes his name to Israel. That's significant. You might have heard of that name before. Israel. You see, the name Israel 
has come even to now identify the church also. We see this in Revelation. It's, 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 an, it's an identity shift. It literally means Israel. This is the name that he gives to Jacob. Change his name to this. Israel literally means he strives or he grapples or wrestles with God. He who strives grapples. He who grapples with God. Now, that always confused me, but not as much anymore because I've learned in my life that, that so much of our walk with the Lord is a grappling through life, not against God, but with God and often against our own flesh. Now, this really landed with me um, when I first started rolling in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I, I went up against a guy as a, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I had some wrestling experience, and I go up against a guy that uh, was a black belt. And <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of thing or gra grappling with an expert, but um, if you've ever rolled before with uh, someone like that, it, it can feel like you are uh, up against a divine being. <laughs> okay? Um, like, you can, you can be going full throttle. Like, he was just like, go all out. He didn't even care. He was just like, do your best, you know? And I'm thinking, like, I, I, honestly, I think I was a little stronger than him. And I'm like, go, I'm trying to strangle him. And he's just patiently, even gently, helping me learn and grow, right? Like, he's just kind of like, it was so clear to him. Like, he was just so calm and collected. And I'm, like, just striving and striving. He's just like, calm, breathe breathe like that's how it was and, and and it was what he's patiently helping me learn and grow and that's what i mean by grappling with god rather than grappling against him like i remember rolling with him and it was like it wasn't a competition he's just helping me and and one of the most common things that he would say again was breathe just breathe rickson gracie is one of the greatest grapplers to ever live some of you know his name he's he's an old man now but you can be sure that man is still lethal um Anyway, uh, he talks about jujitsu, this, this art of grappling, like talking about someone uh, taking someone into deep water. That's how he describes it. And he would go up against these huge fighters back in the day, and he would go in these no-rules-barred cage matches, like no rules, and he would just go up against these huge guys and just calmly, confidently choke them out. Right? And he would describe his approach again as if he was taking people who don't even know how to swim into deep water. And you can bet they were struggling for air, right? And so in an interview, he once talked about how important breathing is in the midst of that deep water experience. And he said, most people panic and try to only breathe in. But in order to get the most out of every breath, you first have to breathe out all the bad air in order to breathe in the good air. Like he was saying they would panic and just go, <laughs> and they never breathe out. So he would say, you, you have to make room for the good air first. Breathing out is the last thing you want to do, but it's the most important thing you can do because it makes room for the good air. Now, as far as I know, Rickson Gracie is not a Christian. But without realizing it, he actually articulated an important principle for what I, it looks like to go deep in the Lord. Like, because mo part of taking in deep breaths of life or the Holy Spirit, which is how the scriptures describe the Spirit of God as like the breath of God. And, and, and part of that first means making room, deeply breathing out the bad air, so to speak, first. But that's easier said than done, especially when you're in the depths of life because you're looking for anyone, to anyone or anything to save you, and it gets panicky. And so it reminds me of the Old Testament prophet, Jonah. Like he'd been running from God for so long that he finally ends up in, in deep depression and then tossed into deep water. And it says in Jonah, chapter 2, verse 2 through 6, he says, first, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. So the context is he's in the deeps here. He's actually in the belly of a whale at this point, okay? And then verse 3, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Sound familiar? 
Jonah was written before the Psalms. Okay? Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. Sounds like a crown of thorns. At the roots of the mountains, meaning he's in the depths. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. That's powerful. That is powerful. So the first thing we need to do to go deep with God here, even in the depths of life, is pour out your soul before the Lord. This is spiritual honesty. To recognize even where you're at, you first have to identify it. Like sometimes in the midst of the turmoil and in the depths, it's the last thing you want to do. You just want to disconnect. We want to disengage. We want to pretend like everything's fine. The storms are never ceasing. And guys, listen, there's no room for pretense or ego in the depths of this life. It's just, this is, it's not just formal confession. This is natural, practical confession of your circumstance, your feelings, your fears, even your hopelessness. We see this all through the Psalms. It's deeply honest, right? God, I'm scared. God, I'm annoyed. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm ashamed. God, I'm angry. God, I'm tired. God, I'm distant. God, I feel like you're distant. God, I don't even care. God, I feel like you don't even care. God, my soul is like an emaciated deer in a desert wasteland. I'm not sure I can do this anymore. I'm out of breath. I'm overwhelmed. I'm undone. I don't think I can take another wave. And then bam, another wave, deep water. This is where deep truly calls unto deep. You ever breathed out all the way and then realized there's still more breath to breathe out? Have you done that? (laughs) See, a deep breath in first requires a deep breath out, and often there's more there. And so... When you breathe out deeply, though, you posture and position yourself to breathe in deeply. But it's important to take, to take stock of your circumstance before you do. Now, I had I, I just said that Jonah was written before the Psalms. I'm actually not sure that that's true, because as I'm recollecting this and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about how the Psalms saturate, this theme saturates both Jonah and David and the psalmists and the people of Israel because this theme goes so deep in the Scriptures. I've told you before, Sheol, the sea, is an image throughout the Bible that talks about chaos and destruction, this churned-up fallen world. So it's so important Number one, to pour out your soul before the Lord in spiritual honesty, okay? We've already seen this theme in the Psalms. Remember Psalm 126, verse 5 through 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So we talked before earlier about what it looks like to plant your tears, to sow your sorrows in prayer. But here in Psalm 42, we get a little more insight into what it looks like to do this. And so number two, consider the cry of your own soul before the Lord. Don't just cry out and then check out. Cry out and continue to check in because that's where you're going to find your spiritual awareness. That's how you're going to recognize what's going on even in here. Guys, we are so disconnected from our own souls. We are probably, because of the rush of this life, we are probably one of the most disconnected generations in history to our own souls because we can just distract. We can just check out and escape really easily. Like This is one of the most overlooked spiritual practices in Christianity today, but it's also one of the most important things you could ever do and ever learn. This is essentially allowing the Spirit of God to search you and know you and see if there is any evil way within you 
and lead you on the path of everlasting life. Not so he can condemn you, but so he can deliver you. And that doesn't happen passively. There's an engaging that must take place in that. And engaging with his spirit. It's not like you just pray it and then you just you check out for an entire week and then you come back here the next week and you're like, didn't he preach on this last week? Yeah! I did! And probably gonna talk about it next week and the week after that because the Psalms are continually repetitive with this theme for a reason. Our souls don't want to go there, man. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? John Ortberg really drives the need to ask this question home, saying this. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. Why... Are you cast down, oh my soul? That's not a rhetorical question. When you pour out your soul unto the Lord, it's like dumping a bunch of puzzle pieces onto the table. <laughs> We've done those big puzzles with the little, my wife loves those things. I get overwhelmed with them. But that's part, it's kind of the point. We can get overwhelmed with our own souls, with what's going on. Because once you dump it out, it's not over. It's just beginning. Like the Holy Spirit desires to help make some sense of what he's helped you to pour out. So sometimes it's helpful to have someone walk through that process with you. But ultimately, this is between you and the Lord. And this is a deeply Christian practice. Many religions or secular psychology make a hollow attempt at this, but mostly it all just ends in either empty, some like empty positivity parade that's disconnected really from what's going on, or just an inward self-examination that only breeds more pride or shame because you never actually preach to your soul. And you never align with what is true. But when we let God's word and spirit penetrate our soul, we're able to consider the very things that we've poured out in order to know what we actually need from the Lord. Like if you're crying out, why have you forgotten me? Don't just leave it at that and move on with your day. Let the spirit meet you there by asking, like, why, why do I feel like you've forgotten me? Like, why do I feel forsaken? Am I forsaken? Have you forsaken me? I know it's not true because your word promises that because of Jesus, you will never leave nor forsake me, that you're even mindful of me. So why does my soul sense this distance? That's a great question. Why, oh soul, are you cast down? Listen to me. There may be a very real reason your soul is cast down like if there is some transgression or unrepentant sin in your life it's going to often lead to a sense of spiritual dryness distance a feeling of forgottenness that is often what happens as a result of sin like we grieve the holy spirit when we live in willful sin again this process isn't for the sake of condemnation though it's to identify the barrier and be rid of it like it may be that you've placed your hope in a circumstance or a person rather than in Christ alone and the anxiety of that thing or that relationship not working out is sucking you dry. Like maybe it's a relationship you know God doesn't want you in and it's creating a rift between you and the Lord because you know that he's called you to Nineveh but you're running over here to Tarsus. Right? Like this is the opposite thing that God has for us. But his goodness and his grace meets you there. Like when his billows roll over you in that circumstance, just like with Jonah, it was mercy and grace. So it's important to let the Spirit of God take you there. I said Tarsus. I meant Tarshish. This is the... the, the Tarsus is where Saul is from. Check back in. Notes. So important, it's important to let the Spirit of God 
take you there, right? This is the point. It's important to let the Spirit of God take you into those places. And when he tries to bring up that issue or that barrier, don't close your spiritual eyes and ears. Take it in. Confess what is true and breathe that thing out. Like whether it's an addiction issue, whether it's a pornography issue, whether it's a pride issue or an anger or bitterness issue. Maybe you've been sleeping with somebody you're not married to. That stuff's going to eat you alive if you're actually a Christian. And if you don't care about it, you have a much bigger problem. And ignoring it doesn't help. It just slowly drowns you spiritually. One of the most important questions to ask when you pour out your soul is this. What am I looking for in this situation or this person or this thing that I'm not finding in God? Deep cries out unto deep. Deep doesn't cry out unto shallow, hollow, counterfeit. Only he will satisfy. And so then when we do that, we let the Spirit of God guide and lead us, and we ask Him to help us even develop that skill of wisdom and insight and discernment into your own soul. Like, cry out for it. Let the depth of your need for that, cry, like, cry unto the depth of His ability to satisfy and meet you there and fill you and deliver you. Like, this is what confession, repentance, and belief actually looks like on a regular basis throughout the Christian journey. It's, just, it's not just how we start, it's how we finish. And it's all the way through. Like, hear me, sin, though, hear me. Sometimes sin is the issue, but not always. So check in here, because we always, we often, we want to try and find a reason for stuff, right? We want to be a fix-it culture. But sin isn't always the issue. In fact, I don't think sin's the issue at all here in Psalm 42. Like sometimes there's no real reason for spiritual dryness. Like other than the fact that we live in a fallen world, there's no real reason. Like we can tend to be so fix-it oriented that we miss the gift that God has for us in the midst of our circumstance simply because we're just trying to get out of our circumstance. This is so important. We tend to think that spiritual dryness must be the result of something I've done wrong. And so now I need to figure out how to do it right. You know what happens then? You get upset about being upset. You get depressed about being depressed. And you get anxious about your anxiety. But it's often through the trial that God desires to bless you with deeper hope. There's a gift there. You see, sometimes the reason for the season of dryness is simply because God wants to take you deeper. I'm going to say that again. Some of y'all need to hear that. Sometimes the reason for the season of dryness is simply because God wants to take you deeper into himself. And while this isn't the only way he takes us deeper, it is definitely an effective way he takes us deeper. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. A hundred years ago, he said this. Great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. Whew, that'll preach right there. Just, let's just go home. Great deeps of trial bring with them great deeps of promise. The trials are mighty, or sorry, trials are mighty enlargers of the soul. Yes, feel the loneliness of life. Here is a dreadful deep for you to sail on, and a tempestuous deep much to be feared, for your little boat may easily be wrecked. But don't forget that there is another deep whose remembrance will remove from you the bitterness of your present sorrow. There is love in heaven towards you, which will never grow cold. Immortal and unchanging love. Deep calls unto deep, and it's only satisfied by the depth of his fullness. Which leads to the third practical way we can go deep with the Lord. Number three, remember the gospel. Look, remember, we're, we're not called to ignore our tears, fears, and emotions, nor submit to them. We're not called to stoically compartmentalize them as if they don't matter, nor give them power to rule over our lives. We're called to remember the truth, and remember that truth isn't just an empty principle or a platitude. Truth is a person. The truth is a person. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Like even in the midst of distance and difficulty, he is remembering. And in verse 5, I love this. I love this. In verse 5, when it says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. The Hebrew word there for salvation is actually a construction that, that literally says, the salvation of my face. This is the salvation of my face. Hope in God for I shall again praise him, the salvation of my face. Like he's literally calling you to remind your face that you're saved. Some of y'all need to remind your face that you're saved. Like that's not fake, guys. That's called faith. Right? Like, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to just give up there and disconnect from what's true. Remember him. Remember the gospel. Remember that God became a man, and he lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death we deserve to die. He experienced the depths on a level you can never fathom. The weeds that Jonah was talking about were a prophetic foreshadowing of the depths that Jesus himself would enter into, the weeds, the crown of thorns, the depth. He literally would go down into the depths of Sheol and death in our place. And also, what would he do, just like Jonah? Rise again. Except he actually did it. Jonah was just a, 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 a foreshadowing, a prophetic imagery, a prefiguring of what actually took place at the cross and he rose again. And he paved the way to eternal life. And it's an eternal life that starts now, not just one day when we die. It begins the moment we place our faith and hope in what he did because it was an effective deliverance. And it was real. And we get access to the spirit of God that the psalmist would only and was only hoping for. You've got greater access through Christ even than the psalmists did in the Old Testament and Old Covenant. Do you realize that? That's a whole other sermon. This is literally a call to remind your face that you're saved and to remember that you have this. Let's take advantage of it. Which leads me to the fourth practical way to go deeper into the Lord. Number four, preach to your soul. Preach to your soul. This is how we cultivate hope and go deeper in the Lord. Like after letting the Spirit give you insight into what your own soul needs and, and remember what that truth is, now it's time to preach to your soul even in the depths as deep calls unto deep. Now it's time to receive the depth of his love by preaching to your soul. Like where am I thirsty? Where am I distant? Am I living in the past? Am I coasting or am I thirsty? Is, is my soul cast down? Is there turmoil? If so, why? Is my soul resting and rejoicing? If so, why? Where is God? Do I feel his presence and delight? If so, praise God. Thank God. Dive in. Spend time soaking in that and rejoicing in that. That's also not a reason to just check. It's not like you look at your soul and you're like, oh, okay, I'm good, bye. No, you check in and you rejoice and you praise him in the midst of it all. You go deeper there too. But if not, why? Is it sin? Search me and know me, O oh God. See if there's any evil way within me and leave me on the path of everlasting life. Is it pride? Is it shame? Is it apathy? Is it anxiety? Is it lack of trust? Or have I simply forgotten what you've done for me and gotten distracted by the false hopes and counterfeit saviors of this world? It's constant. We're bombarded by it. We need to check in. And then after all of this, after we've determined how we need to preach to our own soul. Preach. Listen to how Psalm 42 ends. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O, o my soul? Again, he states it. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Like, he's not necessarily feeling it here. Look at this. Notice. He's, he's not necessarily, like, overflowing with, like, happy thoughts right now. But he's certain he will. And either way, he's standing on what's true. 
He says, I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He's still struggling, but he's no longer depressed about his depression and he's no longer in turmoil about his turmoil. You can hear his soul enlarging. His soul's no longer like a deer dying of thirst. Now it's like a chorus of hope rising above the roar of his own circumstance. Come now, fount of living water. Tune my heart to bless your name. Streams of trouble, never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Because life and circumstance have been sown in the Lord, buried at the foot of the cross, and covered in the all-sufficient and ultimately triumphant blood of the Lamb. You know what the only next step is? When your life is buried in Christ? You know what's next? There's one, only one more thing left. Resurrection. That's the only thing that has claim over someone who is buried in Christ is resurrection. That's it. This is his sure future, and that is the rock-solid promise upon which he stands. Psalm 27 says it like this, and hear this. When I say that, I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm talking about now, right? Psalm 27 puts it like this, verse 13 through 14. I believe, this is David talking, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And while you wait, pour out your soul before the Lord in spiritual honesty. Consider the cry of your own soul before him in spiritual awareness. And then remember the gospel. And then apply the gospel by preaching it to your soul. Let your deep need cry out and receive his deep supply in Christ alone. Breathe out your need, breathe out yourself, and breathe in his goodness and his grace and his presence. I'm going to close with this. Isaiah 43 it says this, verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, you who are so stressing for your blessing, right? He who formed you, O Israel, you who grapple with God, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. So just breathe. Let's pray.